morning, LifePoint friends and family. I want to thank you for tuning in today. You know, uh, last year I preached a message on the strength of joy. You know, it's in times like this that we need to draw on that strength that comes from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I want you to tune in to this message because I believe it's relevant to what we're facing today. And right after the message, I'll be back to share a few more things with you. Let's enjoy today's message. I want to talk to you this morning on the strength of joy, the strength of joy. And the paradox of joy is you could be experiencing in your life right now one of the worst seasons that you've ever gone through. You could be in the middle of a trial or in this extended season of just one thing after the other, and uh, you're feeling the pain of the trial, you're feeling the aggravation of the trial, the frustration of it, all of the emotions that go with trials and tribulations, all of those things, but yet still have joy in the process. Um, the Bible gives us several examples of this. I'll share uh, two of them with you today. The first one is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two. And this is what it says. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, the beginning or the beginner and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that is set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when you think about Calvary and when you think about the crucifixion and you think about the suffering uh, and the torment that Jesus had to go through, you really don't, uh, you really don't associate joy with that. You really don't put those two together. You don't put the suffering, the crucifixion, you don't mix joy with that, but that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews does. He takes the cross, he takes the crucifixion, and then he brings joy in with it. And so Jesus on the cross, naturally, he feels the physical pain, the suffering, the torment that he had to go through. But it wasn't just the physical pain that Jesus endured. He also was dealing with emotional and mental pain. As a matter of fact, he was dealing with the separation of or from the Father. You see, when God took our sin and placed it on Jesus, he bore our sins, the Bible said, on the cross. When God took our sin and placed it on Jesus, the curse of sin which is death, was put on Jesus. And when the curse of sin was placed upon Jesus, who, by the way, was sinless, the Bible said that the Father had to turn his back on the Son. Uh, so not only do we hear Jesus crying out, I thirst, but what also we hear him saying is what? My Father, my Father, why? Have you forsaken me? So at that very moment, Jesus is experiencing the pain of abandonment. But yet he endured the cross, the Bible says, for the, that was the joy that was set 
before him. He endured the pain, the shame, the suffering of the cross, and in exchange for the joy of redemption. So these two emotions, feelings, are going on in his, in his life at this moment. He's feeling the pain, the anguish of the separation, but he's also experiencing the joy of what's taking place on that cross. Why? Because he knows that what is happening at that moment is simply man is now being redeemed back to the Father. Right? And that was the joy that was set before him. Put it another way, he was peering into beyond that moment. As a matter of fact, he looked into 2019, turning the page into 2020. And the reason that he was able to have joy in that moment was he knew that there would be people like you and I who would surrender our life to him who would accept him as our Lord and our Savior. And that brought joy to him in one of the most painful moments and periods in his life. That was the joy that was set before him. So you can be experiencing pain, sorrow, grief, suffering, and still have joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, you don't have to forfeit joy for your trial. You don't have to forfeit joy for your storm. You can, in the middle of it, still have peace and still have joy. His activity on the cross reveals the distinction between feelings and emotional conditions. He, he feels pain, but yet he has joy. As a matter of fact, in the middle of his pain, he still has the ability to minister to those that are around him. Because the thief on the cross in his pain yells out to Jesus in his pain and asks Jesus to remember him when he comes, comes into his kingdom. And so Jesus in his pain turns back to the man on the cross and says, today you will be with me in paradise. What I'm trying to get us to see and understand is this. You don't have to forfeit ministry just because you're going through an affliction or a difficult season in your life. As a matter of fact, God has given you the grace and the strength to minister to people in spite of the pain that you're going through. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in this place right now? So how does that happen? How does that come about? This is, this is the paradox of joy. Um, because this is how that you could lose your job and naturally be worried about how am I gonna take care of the bills? How am I going to take care of my family? You know, how are we going to make ends meet? But on the other hand, you can be experiencing joy. You can be experiencing excitement. Why? Because now you understand that because this door has closed, then God's, God's going to open another door for me. In other words, you can be experiencing or excited about the opportunities that are before you. And so, so this door may shut, but how many of you know God's a door opener? You got to help me today. God is a door opener. And so you can be experiencing, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. But also you can be experiencing, God's got something good for me. God's got something new for me. God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know that you're up to something good for me. 
And that's why when someone asks you how you're doing, you can say, I'm sad and I'm excited at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad because I lost it, but I'm excited because something new is about to happen in my life. I'm, I'm mad, told you it'd make sense in a minute, but I'm glad. I'm glad that it happened. I'm mad that it happened, but I'm glad that it happened, right? I'm glad that it happened because now, now I'm gonna step out where before I was a little bit reluctant to step out because I was in my safe zone. Let me come over here. I was in my secure place. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the eaglets in the nest. And then when mama says, you know what? You've been hanging in this nest. It's been too comfortable for too long. And mama starts taking out all those things that make that nest very comfortable. And it gets to the place where, where mama starts removing all of the cushiony things uh, in that little eaglet's life. So now that eaglet is in that nest and all that eaglet starts to feel is the pricking from uh, the thorns that are in that nest. And every time that eaglet moves, it's like, that hurts. That's painful. And all of a sudden, the, the, that eaglet says, you know what? I'm tired of getting poked and prodded in this place. I think I'm going to leap. And that eaglet leaps out of that nest. Amen. And how many of you know God can teach you how to fly in mid-flight? Come on, son. God can teach you how to soar when you think you're going to crash. Yeah. So if God wouldn't have permitted certain things in our life, if God wouldn't allow certain things to happen in our life, you either have to believe God's in control or he's not. You either have to believe God, you got this, or he doesn't. You either have to believe in his sovereignty that God, you know what's best for me. You either have to believe that he does know what's best for you or not. I've told you this from the beginning. God goes into your future and he starts working back. God's already been in your tomorrow. God's already been in your next week. God's already been in your next year. And God says, I'm allowing this to happen because I know that in order for me to get you to where you need to be, these things need to happen in your life. So I'm mad and I'm happy at the same time. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give God praise. That's why the psalmist wrote that weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. How many of you know that, that you, the night season is morning? Say it to you this way. Every new day begins in the dark. Not, not when we wake up, but every new day begins at midnight. How many of you know it's dark at midnight? Right? It's still dark. So your new day begins in the dark season of your life. And what's hard about that is you can't see. You can't see what's going on around you because it is dark. And so... You can be rejoicing and crying in the same season. I can be rejoicing uh, and I can be weeping in the same day. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping endures for the night. Weeping is temporal. Joy is eternal. We're taking this thing all the way to Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're taking it. So here's the first thing. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, if you're not taking notes, number one, 
Joy is a focus, not a feeling. I kind of feel like preaching today, so we might be in trouble. Joy is a focus, not a feeling. Since when do we go by our feelings? How many of you know they'll play tricks with you? Yeah? Well, I don't feel like it. Well, it's not about whether we feel like it or not. Well, you know, I don't know. Well, we, we don't go by our feelings. Joy is a focus. What did the writer say? Fixing our eyes where? On Jesus. Focusing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Anything else is going to disappoint. When you set your attention, when you set your focus on any other thing, it will disappoint. Uh, there are people that are not going to meet nor live up to your expectations. It's not going to happen. Uh, people, things, situations always fall short of, of what you're expecting and what you're believing. But how many of you know God goes above and beyond anything that we can think or even imagine? So here's what happens. Here's what happens. The enemy knows this. And so then the enemy comes into our life and he tries to break our focus. And so one of the things that he does is he tries to get our focus off of Jesus and get our focus on people. So he turns our attention to people and not towards Jesus. And what happens is, especially when you're dealing in the area of joy and happiness in your life, what happens is when you start looking at other people, you have, you have to be careful because then you'll fall into the comparison trap. Because you'll look at somebody and you'll say things like this, well, look at what they're wearing. Look at what they're wearing. Or, or you'll, you'll look at them and say, well, look what they're driving. And, and my car's still being held together by bumper stickers. <laughs> and then you'll look at them and say, well, look where they're living, right? Uh, did you see where they went on vacation? Did you see their vacation pictures? I mean, look at their kids. Their kids never act up. Their husband, he, look at their, her husband. Look, look, at, look at his wife. And we start looking at people. We start looking at things. Did you see their Facebook picture? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many of you know Facebook is the highlight reel of somebody's life, right? They're not gonna take pictures of their kids when they're yelling at them to find their shoes because you're going to church. Where's your shoe? Where's your shoe? Come on, parents. Yeah. This is Billy, he can't find his shoe. That's why he's crying. And that's why we're pouring, pulling our hair out. No, they're gonna have Billy smiling with his shoes on. Yeah, uh-huh. Highlight reel. Look at this happy couple. They're always smiling, gazing into each other's eyes, always walking down the road, holding hands, where you didn't see 30 minutes ago, they were throwing pots and pans at each other. Right, it's a highlight reel. And so when you start looking at people 
And when you, especially if you start looking at their social media, come on, we don't post the bad things. We post the positive things, right? And so you start comparing yourself and you're like, I wish I was happy. I wish I had what they had. And then we start focusing on possessions. So if it's not people that he gets us to focus on, he starts to get us to focus on possessions. And we say things like this, I'd be happy if, I sure would be happy if I was driving that car. And so what happens is people try to sell us things to sell us their stuff so that we can be happy. If you live over here, you're going to be happy. If you wear this outfit, you're going to be happy. If you drink this, you're going to be happy. Huh. Right? Can we just get real for a little bit? You ever see the beer commercials? You ever see anybody sad? This is Bob. He is so depressed. No, this is Bob, and he's with all of his friends, and they're all hanging out, and they're having a great time. Liars. <laughs> Bob's at home by himself, depressed. They try to get us to buy things thinking that if we'll buy these things, we will be happy. That's what we want. We want to be happy, right? What's the song, Because I'm? Um, yeah. You want me to sing it? <laughs> so we buy the possessions, and then we have to buy storage units to put our stuff in. Right? Because we thought those things were going to make us happy, but they don't. Possessions do not produce lasting joy. You know this. You just experienced it with Christmas. Your kids were about 30 minutes. They were happy for 30 minutes with that new toy. 30 minutes. And now it's like, what's next? As a matter of fact, some of them wanting 30 minutes is like, open it up, what's next? Come on, we all spoil our kids. I know it. I'm, I've been there, done that. Right? But we know that's our nature. So these things are not going to make us happy. You know that new car you bought? Well, if you were thinking about buying a new car, that one, right? What's the first thing you say? Nobody's eating in this car. I better not catch you eating any food in this car. If I catch you eating any food in this car, you'll be walking. You're not eating in this car. Maybe, maybe you can, maybe, maybe you can get some coffee, but you ain't not, no, nope, not gonna happen. Year later, fries all over the floorboard. <laughs> Ketchup stains all over the seat. Looks like a trash can in the back part, right? I mean, it's just everything's been dumped back there. Because the newness wears off. It's fleeting. It doesn't last. And here's, here's the point, church. The enemy cannot, listen to me, the enemy can't keep you from being blessed because you are blessed. He cannot stop you from being, you are blessed. So you know what he does? He tries to make us think that we are not blessed when we start comparing ourselves to other people and their possessions. 
well, God must not love me as much as he loves them. Look at what they have and look at what I have. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do you realize, I think I shared this with you before, but I'll say it again. Do you realize that if you make between $39,000 and $44,000 a year, you are in the top 1%, the wealthiest people on the planet? Between thirty-nine dollars and $44,000 a year, the top 1% on the planet. On the planet. Hey, do me a favor. Take your hand, take your right hand, put it in front of your nose. Just... You feel that? Do you feel that air? You feel your breath coming out of your nose? When's the last time you thanked God for that? Hello? Hello? Can you see me? If you can, wave. Just wave at me. When's the last time you thanked God for that? When's the last time you thank God that you could reach out and pick something up and hold it in your hands? I'm trying to tell us that we are blessed, amen? God has blessed us. Can you swallow when you chew your food? You're blessed. There are people who can't, right? And so the trick of the adversary is to get us to think because we don't have things or someone else has something that we want or don't have that we're not blessed. And I'm telling us right now, we will never experience true joy looking at other people or trying to fill our life full of possessions. It doesn't last. And so for many people, joy is simply a focus problem. If you refocus, all you need to do is refocus. Fix your eyes on him, not them. And I'm, I'm telling you, joy will flood your soul. He will give you joy for the journey. Yeah, I've had to learn this because it's always been about the destination. It's always been about the next project. It's always been about, okay, we've done this, now what? It's always someday, someday, someday. When I get here, I'll be happy. When I have this, I'll be happy. And God is saying, you should be, you should be joyful every day because every day is a gift that I've given you. Every day is a gift that I've given you. And so, so I'm, I'm teaching myself and it's hard to break old habits, but I'm teaching myself to, to enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Just nudge your neighbor and tell them, enjoy the journey. Would you do that? Can I give you point number two? I'm going to anyway, so here we go. Oh, look, I didn't start the timer. There we go. Joy produces perspective. It produces perspective. James 1, 2 says this. Consider it. What? When? Okay, let's do it again. Consider it what? When? I, would, I wonder how many people would, um, would want to be a part of LifePoint Church if that was our church motto. Instead of building one life at a time, um, hey, join LifePoint Church. 
where we take joy in trials. Well, people would be signing up for that, wouldn't they? If, if Jesus had a website, I, I, I think it would be, pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, we don't, we don't want to put that kind of stuff out there because we want to be happy. But, but James says, consider it joy when you face all kinds of trials because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How we perceive something makes all the difference in the world. If I look at something as being harmful, if I look at it as being hurtful rather than helpful, it's going to be hard for me to endure the process and keep my joy. It's gonna be very hard. And so one of the things that joy enables us is joy gives us eyes to see things differently. All right, it gives us eyes to see things differently because a person with joy can look at something uh, and they can see opportunity rather than obstacles and hindrances. Um, in other words, you see the obstacle as an opportunity where someone else who doesn't possess joy can look at something and say, this is just a hindrance, this is doom, this is gloom, I don't know what we're gonna do, I don't know how we're going to make it. And so joy causes you to see obstacles as opportunities. We got this, we can handle this. And so James says, you know, you need to look at every trial, every test, every storm as an opportunity and not a hindrance. As a matter of fact, the King James Version says this, that you are to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Any CPAs in the house? Joan, praise the Lord, tax season, we love you, Joan. Any accountants, any, any, anybody balance your checkbook, anybody take care of that? Two people, praise God, we need help. <laughs> Financial peace, Rob. It's time for a new class. But when you do accounting, I said in the first service, Joan needs to be preaching right now, but you set everything up into categories, columns, profits, losses, add it up, subtract it, whatever. And what James is saying is this, he's tell, telling us, he says, when you face trials, don't count it as a loss. He said, instead of us putting it in the category of a burden, he said, when you face a trial, put it in the category of a blessing. Why? Because joy changes my perspective. So you need to change the column. Change where you count it. So in, instead, of, uh, instead of counting it as an expense, count it as income. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that our trial, our test, is working for us and not against us. God says, I'm working everything in your life out what? Not for your bad. I'm working everything in your life out what? For your good. So he says, when you get in a trial, don't put it in the burden trial or don't put it in the burden column. Don't put it in this difficult. Just put it right there in the blessing. This is a blessing. And I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but you're going to do it. You know, some of you might be sitting there right now and asking yourself, how in the world can I have joy in the midst of this pandemic? 
Well, you know, Philippians 4, 12 and 13 records these words. The Apostle Paul said, I know what it is to be in need. Maybe that's where some of you are right now. He said, I also know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the most amazing thing about this passage of Scripture is that Paul wrote this from prison. And he said, I have found the secret, and the secret of contentment is knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, joy is not contingent upon what's going on around us, but rather on who's living in us. Just like you can't get in water and not get wet, Jesus can't be in us and us not have joy. And so Paul lets us know that we can be content in every situation and in every circumstance in our life, and here's why. Joy is a sense of jubilation based on the revelation that my well-being rests securely in the hands of God who is producing a favorable outcome for me. You see, I may not be able to control what's going on around me, but I can rest in the revelation that He has all things under control. My situation doesn't have the final say-so because the Bible tells us that God is working everything out together for our good. So my Savior, not my situation, has the final say on all things. You see, God can take the bad and turn it around and use it for His glory. And so joy is a state of being. Joy is a choice. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I want to remind you that even in the midst of this pandemic, we can choose joy. As a matter of fact, why don't you just write it in right now, right there in the comment section, just write it in, I choose joy. You know what else? I'm going to challenge us this week to adopt this method, and the method is the two-by-four method. I want you to divide your life into two categories, people and things. Two categories, people and things. And then I want you to think about four people that you appreciate and four things that you're grateful for. So this week, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to share with us the four things or the four people that you appreciate and the four things that you're grateful for. And I believe that if we practice these things, we'll truly see how blessed we really are. Whatever you recognize, you become thankful for. And whatever you are thankful for will increase in your life. So let's do that this week together as a family, as a church. Let's list four people that we appreciate and four things that we're grateful for. And if you'll share that with others, I believe it's going to help them and strengthen them.